Live from the WLI-WFM studio in Southampton, New York, on Thursday, August 31st, 2023, I'm Gianna Volpe. Developer Adam Potter, who announced plans in early August for a new mixed-use development on property he owns between Bridge and Rose Streets in Sag Harbor, has formally submitted his application to the Sag Harbor Village Building Department, seeking site plan approval from from the uh, planning board. Stephen J. Coates reporting on 27East.com that the plans call for two buildings. One of them would be a three-story mixed-use building with 39 apartments, including 19 set aside as affordable and just under 11,000 square feet of first-floor retail space. The second would be a 16,144-square-foot community center called The Complex, A letter accompanying the plans from Potter's attorney, Tiffany Scarlato, describes the complex as a nonprofit organization dedicated to fostering education, music, the arts, and social community development. That would include an auditorium and uh, a variety of meeting spaces and offices. The two buildings would be separated by a courtyard providing green space. The development replaces an earlier proposal by Potter to build 79 affordable apartments and about 30,000 square feet of retail space on the site. That proposal was derailed last year after a lawsuit successfully challenged the adoption of a Sag Harbor Village law intended to make it easier for developers to create affordable housing. A date has yet to be set for the planning board to begin its review of the application. Building inspector Christopher Talbot would only describe the application as pending review. However, the letter submitted by Scarlato outlines a number of variances from the village ZBA, the Zoning Board of Appeals, the project would require to go forward. In school news, a Blue Ribbon Advisory Group is scheduled in November to recommend changes to high school graduation requirements, including regents' exams. With the 2023-24 school year starting, Newsday asked superintendents across Long Island their hopes for change. Brian Dolger, superintendent of the Shelter Island Union Free School District, responded as follows. Changes to high school graduation requirements must take into account what is best for students. What is best may not always be what's easiest. The ultimate goal of any graduation requirement should be that each student meets his or her own unique potential. How do you implement a system like that while maintaining standards and rigor? It's difficult because the target of achievement will always move and remain different for each student. A mix of accountability with flexibility is in order. The region's exams should remain in place, holding all districts to a standard. The state education department can allow local districts to grant students who may not reach the region's requirements latitude to still graduate if they meet local standards. School and district must determine a local method to ensure the student has achieved their unique potential. On Shelter Island, all seniors are required to pass an oral comprehensive exam as a local graduation requirement. Students work on a research paper in the first semester. In the second semester, they must defend it to a panel of administrators, teachers, and fellow students. Some graduate with distinction if they perform well on the local rubric. This demonstrates true learning and local control while adhering to state standards. That's Brian Dolger, superintendent of the Shelter Island Union Free School District, responding to a Newsday inquiry regarding high school graduation requirements and changes that might be implemented in New York State. Also in school news, an Eastern Suffolk BOCES teacher had sex with a 16-year-old female student on multiple occasions in 2020 at the Riverhead campus and elsewhere, according to court documents filed yesterday as he was arraigned on four counts of third-degree rape and other charges. John Asbury reports on Newsdate.com that William Spurl, 60 of Deer Park, pleaded not guilty in a central Islip courtroom to the rape charges and seven counts of a criminal sex act in the third degree. Spurl, the student's audio production teacher, quote, wanted the victim to believe they were dating prosecutors, said. Courts, r- court records show the alleged incidents also occurred 
at Sproul's home and at Tiana Beach in Hampton Bays between June and October of 2020. Sproul was ordered held on $200,000 bail or $300,000 bond and left the courtroom in handcuffs. He was ordered to stay away from the alleged victim and to have no contact with her. Prosecutors said he posed a serious flight risk. Sproul's attorney, John Leturco, contested that. He said Sproul is not a flight risk whatsoever and has been married for more than 30 years. He is the father of four grown children and a grandfather. Leturco added, quote, right now we're going to thoroughly investigate these allegations, receive all discovery and have a course of action accordingly based on the evidence against my client. Loturco said outside court, adding he has the cloak of the presumption of innocence over him. Sproul is also listed as a deacon at St. Cyril and Methodius, uh, Methodius Roman Catholic Church in Deer Park. And finally, community members are invited to a back-to-school supplies giveaway hosted by LIR Clothing on Sunday, September 3rd from 2 to 6 p.m. at Doctors Path Community Park in Riverhead. The giveaway includes school supplies and LIR clothing uh, t-shirts to children as reported on riverheadlocal.com. The event will also include free food, drinks, activities, and a live DJ. For those interested in chaperoning, donating, or sponsoring, uh, you can contact LIR clothing owner Anthony Harris at 631-875-9119. That's this coming Sunday. Tonight, the Eagle River Band Tribute to the Eagles will perform an outdoor concert at 7 p.m. in Good Ground Park, 9A Squiretown Road in Hampton Bays. You can bring a blanket or lawn chair. Reading the weather in the Shinnecock Territory all morning in honor of our discussion at the bottom of the next hour with Chairman Polite, um, as well as two others ahead of the 77th annual powwow this weekend, looking like a partly sunny Thursday uh, with a high near 75 degrees in the Shinnecock Territory. North wind 10 to 17 miles per hour tonight, mostly clear with a low around 55 degrees. Northeast wind 6 to 10 miles per hour right now. It's 66 degrees. Today's playlist is a lover's edition in honor of our first guests, a set of spousal scribes known as Heather Dune McCam and Simon Worrell, who I think are already here at the WLIWFM studio. They'll be joining us for the Thoughtful Thursday segment. Uh, that's this hour to talk about their new book, Star-Crossed, A True Romeo and Juliet Story in Hitler's Paris, I'm probably going to cut the tracks to mm -mm -mm, put the Fleetwoods and the Flamingos a little later. We're going to play Fancy Haggard's Another Lover Says featuring Audra May, Christina Perry, Sea of Lovers on deck after that. And then likely after our friends speak to us about Star Cross, we've got Jacob Gurevich's Lovers in Paris. Uh, Right here on Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLIWFM. News you can trust, music you love. Empathy's a wild thing, tugging on my heartstrings. That one needs a sweet dream, but love can be a nightmare.
time another lover says goodbye. Fancy Haggard, leading us straight into our Thoughtful Thursday segment. It's 9.18. That's uh, 18 minutes past midnight if you're listening to the replay of the show. Time for our Thoughtful Thursday segment, underwritten by Grace and Grit. Welcoming Heather Dune McAdam and Simon Worrell. Joining us for the Thoughtful Thursday segment to talk about their new book, Star-Crossed, a true Romeo and Juliet story in Hitler's Paris. Thank you both for being with us. Thank you. Oh, pleasure. oh well, oh, what, do you, what did you bring? Oh, my God. Croissant. Merci beaucoup. Mes amis. Oh, and Mr. Wagglebottom is also with us. So, Heather, this story very much intersects with your first book, 999, an accompanying documentary. Uh, about the young women of the first official Jewish transport to Auschwitz. Am I correct that our heroine Annette is first sent to Auschwitz one before being moved to Birkenau? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. She's so Auschwitz Birkenau is is one huge complex, complex. and Birkenau is uh, five kilometers away from Auschwitz. So actually walking it. And many years ago, Simon and I was, I took him to Auschwitz. You know, he took oh me to Bali God. and I said, you want to go to Auschwitz? That's our joke. Um, <laughs> so that's a heavy trip. I made him walk from Auschwitz one to Auschwitz two, which is Birkenau. And he complained the whole way. And actually my first book was Rena's Promise. My my second book on the Holocaust is, is 999, which came out um, in 2020. And um, and he's complaining on the walk. And I said, you know, Rena used to do this every twice a day with a crust of bread. And it's really far. And um, so so uh, in 1942, all Jews went uh, before August 1942. They all went to Auschwitz one. And then they were moved in August 1942 to Birkenau, um, which was uh much worse than Auschwitz so one. The women were moved. The women were moved in okay. August 1942. Yep. The men. The men stayed in Auschwitz one. The women's camp right. be, was moved to. And then they took to down the the wall between. Yes. That had uh, formerly demarked. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is like such little them. known history that there was a wall in Auschwitz one where the, you know the first Jewish transport to Auschwitz was all these teenage girls. That's the, you know, that's the. The book, 999, is about those women. I knew, um, I interviewed six or seven of them. Um, I knew them personally, deeply, very intimately, and um, and filmed them all for the documentary. And then um, Annette's story, Annette com- arrives in June 1942 on the first French women's transport. There's only 66 of them, and at that point in Auschwitz, there are uh, 7,000 Slovak girls. Um, um, some a few poles, but um, in Auschwitz, that all Jews. So, and what of Annette's ninety-four-year-old sister Michelle and Rachel? How much has this past weeks or, or more now uh, release of the book meant to her as she continues to mourn her beautiful creative sister? Well, first of all, she's ninety-five. She's ninety-five. <laughs> she just, just turned, turned ninety-five, 95 last okay. week on our book Happy, launch. Oh my Happy gosh, birthday, on the... Michelle. On Von the day? Yeah. That's yeah. so beautiful. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. And that is also the birthday of her twin daughters. Uh, and Laurence uh, Cares is one of my best friends. Right. So that's how we came to this and, story. And, and did you, and had your uh, friendship predated your books? Or how oh, yeah. did that, oh my gosh. No, I've known Laurence since the 80s. <laughs> 
<laughs> we we joke that the story was born here in the Hamptons because um, Laurence and I we heard she's married to one of my best friends, and we used to sit on the beach, and she was like, "Hello, you should read a book about my aunt." Yeah, right. You know, she will. and I go, I would go, ah, Laurence, you know, I don't really want to write about the Holocaust again, and and then you know, decades. You it know. must take a toll. I it mean, does. This is an it does. Exhaustively researched and 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 uh, well cited uh, book. I, I I I would love to talk about the actual process of putting oh, it's, together. Oh, it's intense, Star intense. Girl. It was but what, you should, three or Simon four Simon should years? speak about Michelle quickly and yes. just because we did speak to her um, okay. when we, the book yes, came out we called yeah, her yeah, on her birthday. I think she's really really excited and pleased. The book's come out. She's got to be. Yeah. And she's getting a lot of tension in France because there was a TV movie of Annette's story. Which, which is she, making Jewish film festivals in America right yeah, now. Yeah, which she participated in. And there was just a three-page spread in Liberation, one of the biggest French newspapers, about Annette's story with a big photograph of Michelle. So when I rang her, the other, we rang her the other day, I said, Ah, oh, Michelle, you're becoming a vedette, a star. Right. She said, Yes, that's me. <laughs> she, she was an amazing and, woman. And, and, you know, we've got to touch on the Café de Flore because, right. I mean, when you think about a TV movie, this is a rich, <coughs> utterly cinematic scene and setting for the romance between yeah. Jean and Annette. Uh, Simon, do you want to tell us more about the space? Sure. The Café de Flore is a legendary French café. Um, it was famous in the war as a sort of anti-German uh, cafe. The Germans weren't welcome, though there was no sign saying that. And it was famous for its artistic, cultural, intellectual milieu. So Picasso was there with Dora Ma, Django Reinhardt would drop in for a cafe, coffee. And the most famous person probably was uh, Simone de Beauvoir and Jean-Paul Sartre. And Simone de Beauvoir connects with our story because she got right. to know Annette and Jean and wrote about them, actually, after Annette disappeared very movingly, um, saying, you know, there's, there's an empty seat here now where the beautiful Czech girl, she called her Czech, though she was Polish, <laughs> used to sit. And they represent the many others who also have right. disappeared. Yeah, right. I get teary just every time you think about it, you know. They, they were so young and innocent. They just had no, uh, you know, as young, innocent kids are, they just thought love would conquer all. Right? And we visited the Café de Flore with Michelle, actually, and she yeah. showed us the red banquette, faux leather banquette bench uh, where Annette used to sit and she pointed out where Simone de Beauvoir used to sit because there's a little girl. Uh, Michelle would sometimes be sent from home to pick Annette up. At the cafe for dinner, <laughs> and Annette, Annette became a real presence there. As did Jean. There was a whole group of oh, them. and the and the scene when when her and and Jean become an item, <laughs> yeah, because at first she's dating both him and, and the Claude best Cortez. friend Lord, to yeah. get back at the girlfriend Bella. Yeah, Bella, for being yeah. like a mean girl to yeah, her. Yeah, yeah. And and then you know she's she's picking between them in front of everyone. It's a showdown, yeah. <laughs> totally, and a show for everyone yeah. there at the cafe. And she chooses Claude first. First, and something yes. Speaks to her in her heart, and she changes her mind. She says, Jean. And, and she that's it. and she had done this. She did it's like, that let's to him make a deal. twice. <laughs> yeah, she did it to him twice because at first she had, you know, decided and and and. And cast Jean aside. So it was mm -hmm. twice that she did that before she ultimately chose him. Mm -hmm. And and very heartbreaking uh, that she chose to stay with Jean to marry him instead of leaving with her family. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean that's that that's is the always the the story movie. of you know you, you go one you take a left instead of a right and your whole life right. changes. Right. And and certainly in Nazi occupied Paris that was right. really really true. Um, and you know the first part of the book is is um, is delightful. You know mm -hmm. there's it's joie de vivre. It's crazy. There's a lot of you know bed swapping going on. There's a lot of intellectual art and um, jazz. Arts. Loads oh of my jazz. Gosh. And, you know, and you get a real sense of what Paris was like, not as resistance fighters, but as young people, just, yeah. you know, you know, just trying to get away with something, which I love. I, I love Annette. I love her letters. Um, oh, she I love is her art. so cool. She is so she cool. She gives 
zero Fs, as they would, as they say, <laughs> despite uh, Nazi-occupied France, and and it's uh, you know again so heartbreaking because she has this you know very innocent. Oh, I'm going to have a night to myself, to my solitude before I get married, not knowing that she's on. She's already on the radar of the Nazis. Yeah. I don't want to give too much away. Yeah, yeah. But we can talk about, let's talk about one of the people who betray the young Miss Zellman, uh, sealing her fate in Birkenau. Uh, Maître Goublet? How do I say? Oh, yeah, the lawyer. Oh, uh, the lawyer. Yeah, let's talk about Evil. this character. Well, Jean, Jean, when Annette is arrested, Jean hightails down to Limoges in the free zone where the parents have gone to take refuge and where Annette, if she'd gone, would have survived. To, thank, thank, uh, thanks to Guy. The yeah. youngest? Yes, the oldest. Right. The He's oldest. the eldest. Yeah, he yeah. gets a house. Very smart young yeah. man. So Jean goes down there and they talk about a strategy and they decide they'll hire this uh, uh, lawyer called Maître Goublet, who was very celebrated uh, in Paris. And um, she takes on the case, but she does basically very little. And it turns out that after the war, while defending liberals and communists in Paris, she's also uh, 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 quizzling. She's working for the Gestapo as an right. informer, and yeah. she's tried and sentenced eventually after the war. Yeah, total double agent. It's yeah, horrible yeah, yeah. because, of course, Annette is in prison thinking she's going to get out any day, right. yeah. which is why the letters are so powerful, the ones that we from have prison, yeah. that were sent um, from prison. You know, I can't wait to see you, Jean. Right. You know, bring me my new bra. You know, bring me some fresh panties. You yeah, know, she, she, I, you know, she retains yeah. And bring me spirit. some more chocolate. More chocolate, right. yeah. <laughs> you know, I, and, and in this... As the wheel of fortune turns against the Nazis, let's talk about this technique of SS soldiers to disguise themselves as uh, former prisoners and refugees to escape detention and mm -hmm. accountability. Mm -hmm. Oh, after liberation. Right. Yeah, well. Well, that happens, yeah, a lot at the Hotel Leticia. You're thinking of that, are you? Yeah. Where uh, Hotel Leticia is a very grand, luxurious hotel, and de Gaulle chose it as a reception center for all the prisoners coming from the camps. So there was busloads of prisoners arriving in their striped outfits. And, yeah, German soldiers and SS would try and smuggle themselves in, pretending to be survivors of the camps. And were, they, one were some one of them of the found most, out by yeah, these? Because yeah. uh, there were, there one were of the best stories, them. and this is actually a story that I have in 999, is uh, SS Irma Gresa, who was really, really you a horrible SS one, yeah. woman. And, um, and she is in the, in the mess uh, with the Amer American soldiers, and she is in a prisoner's uniform, and there is a prisoner from Auschwitz um, who's sitting there and she sees her and she turns white as a sheet and and one of the American soldiers who speaks um, Slovak and Polish or German says to her what's wrong and she says that's an SS woman and she's over there flirting with with the soldiers and I'm they getting, arrested I'm her on the like, spot and of course she was hung for her crimes oh my gosh. against the women in, in can the you camp. talk a little bit more about her regress? Irma Gressa, she's just, you know, she was just completely depraved. I mean, she was very well known for, um, you know, sexual proclivities and killing young women and men just haphazardly. Um, you know, you never knew where you stood with her. She was a bit like a rabid dog. Um, and, and then again, you know, Rena, who was in my first book, um, used to be told to put suntan lotion on her shoulders and she would be terrified she'd think oh my god now she's going to kill me because i've touched her um you just never knew when she was going to turn against you um and and she was part of the um the nuremberg trials and one of five women who was hung from auschwitz marie mandel juana borman um and a couple of others what was it when did you finally decide to jump back into this and uh, write the story. Well, it, it was Laurence on the beach, and she says to me, "Hello, you know, a, a two decades every every summer, um, my mother she just inherited a box of letters and art, and it was huge. what from Charles? 
from Charles. Mm, right. So her mother had, the family had never seen any of these letters. Charles was Annette's closest confidant. Many of the letters are to him when he was in prison for, he had arrested for working on the black market. And so they are letters to him, but he never shared them with the, the family. The whole family, well, the family Nobody... was like, the family also wrote letters to Charles. The, right. yeah. 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 So there were those letters yeah. which were really cool too. Yeah, they're great. Because yeah. they were like the kids. The kids, they were like yeah. crowdsource letters. They were like <laughs> it was like a family group chat. Right. Because yeah. that you know That's exactly Michelle, what it was. It was like what's Michelle family? would write and then the brother would jump in yeah. and then the father would say something. Yeah. It was really cool. Yeah. But the, then it's uh, very Annette much like a chat. Also but Charles never showed. So when Charles died, uh, Michelle, for the first time, and um, this was years. only about eight years ago, uh, Michelle got the letters and she read them and she saw Annette's art for the first time in her life. So and crazy. she said to us, she said, I feel like I finally know my sister right. because she she knew her sister as as a 12 year old, as a 14 year old, but not as an adult woman. Right. So much of Annette's life was secret from her because she wouldn't have understood anyway, you know, the dating and the running around. And and um, and so she I mean, really she got was, to know her sister really finally posthumously. She was a child when she uh, yeah. was uh, secreted away to Switzerland right. mm -hmm. fortuitously mm -hmm. and yeah. saved in that way. Uh, it's it's unbelievable. And it's so horrible how um, just errant. It's like this person gone, this gone. person saved. And it, there's no rhyme or reason, there's obviously, none. in genocide. No. It's very, yeah, you can't, it doesn't make sense. And, you know, it. it's sort of luck and miracle and being in the right place at the right time. I mean, right. I have a very deep sense that Annette, um, you know, the last, we, we see her in Auschwitz, so we have a witness with her last known words. Um, and and she's with the women that she knew at the depot in Les Terrell, and they, they're very close. And I just have a feeling that Annette probably didn't want her friends to die alone and went willingly to the right. gas. Right. And many, many women, sisters, you know, cousins did that, you know. Um, it was terrifying, and and my first book is about that. Rena's promise. The promise was, if you get chosen, if you get selected to die, I will go with you. And and Annette is that kind. Of, she's a she's a big sister. Yes. And I can just see. I get chills just thinking about it. That when Ida Levine, who we know is ill, um, you know, and and um, Bella Lempert um, dies in September 1942. We have a date for Bella, but we don't know about Annette. So um, that's just sort of my gut. Is that she? Um, she wouldn't have wanted her friends to be alone. Right. It's the sort of person she mm. was. Just heartbreaking. What What was it that led you to write Rena's Promise? I met Rena, and that's what took me down this path. You know, I originally I thought um, I met her, and she wanted to tell her story and I said well we'll write it for your family and in the midst of writing it I went wow this is an amazing story and I did some research and discovered that I had you know I had no idea that the first official Jewish transport to Auschwitz was all young women zero and um and we sold the book and then you know I I took a break from the Holocaust for about 20 years and and was in we were in Slovakia um going to Auschwitz on the 70th anniversary and uh, Edith Grossman, who was married to a very, very famous uh, Slovak writer, um, Israeli writer. He won an Oscar in 1965 for his uh, for best foreign film. He wrote the, um, the screenplay for a book he wrote, which is called The Shop on Main Street. It's considered one of the top 100 films of all time. It's an incredible film. So she was married to Ladislav. And, you know, when you find somebody who's 90 and they're not only eager and willing to talk about the Holocaust, but capable because mm. she had all of her faculties. And, Unbelievable. And like Michelle, yeah. you know, when you find somebody like that. So I filmed Edith 
And that led me to the documentary and the book 999. And then by the the moment I finished 999, the book... The documentary came first. The documentary is sort of in the midst of the book. And I took a break and finished, wrote the book. And then went back to the documentary. Books are easier to write than films. I mean, first, you don't have to raise funding, (laughs) right? Right. You know, you just sit down and write it. And I got a publisher and they paid me to sit down and write it. So that's what I did. And then I went back to the documentary. But as I was, as soon as I finished 999, um, Laurence had told me about the archive. And I said to Simon, he was in England, I said, get on a plane and go to Paris and, and meet Michelle um, and, and, and see what it's like. And he's got a great story about meeting Michelle for the first time. Yeah, well, I hopped on the plane and it was baking hot, everyone hot and tired and grumpy and sweaty in Paris. Like in the 80s, right? Yeah. There's no AC in Paris. No no AC. (laughs) So I was covered in sweat by the time I reached Montmartre where uh, Annette, uh, Michelle lives in a beautiful apartment in in, uh, Square de Clignancourt and went up the stairs, rang the bell, and I'm greeted by this immaculately dressed, of course, French women always immaculately dressed in a white pants suit, hair beautifully coiffed, smiling, serene, cool as a cucumber. And she ushers me into her beautiful living room where there's a, di- a table as well, big table, covered in art and letters, documents, family photos on the wall. And I spent, what, three hours or something. Um, and Wasn't I had- it like five? Or something like that. And at one point, I, long, at one point I suggested, uh, you know, she might like to take a break. She studied. She said, no, 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 I'm fine. <laughs> you Are wanted you all a right? break. <laughs> and, uh, and that was when I first met Annette. And by the end of those hours, um, I knew we had a great story. Yeah. Yeah. Unbelievable yeah. story. Yeah. And Simon speaks fluent French and German. So he that was, helps he was a, a lot. Yeah. yeah. I, I could not have done the. She likes to joke that that was the reason that she brought me on board. That's the only reason, <laughs> exactly. And and how much more research? I mean, how many books did you read to write oh, this one? God. I, I don't know, about a hundred probably, <laughs> and they're all sourced in the back, all yes. the ones that were used, and so that, everything is sourced. But also, yeah. you know, one of the, I mean, one of the things that I love about this book is the field research we did. So we were we got to Paris in, in COVID, and I had crossed the border into the EU, and they had closed the border to Americans, so I couldn't leave until we were done. And you know, we lived in Paris. We uh, we did the archives, which was quite hard to get into. You had to That's sort of put in, in put in a permission slip, you know, All make sh- French. wait for them to agree because of because of lockdowns. Oh, yeah. you, they could only have so many people in the library at a time. We had to get loads of permissions. Then we traveled down to Marseille. Um, I went scuba diving in Saint-Henri-sur-Mer so, because Jean was one of the first yes, people to scuba dive. And I wanted to see the underwater world that he spoke to Michelle about. You know, she used Beautifully. To, she, His yeah, article just, about scuba diving was gorgeous. Yeah, thank great. you. Yeah. Um, and then we traveled to Nancy and Gravelot. Nancy where, where Annette grew up. And um, and Gravelot, where is the last sighting of Jean Jocien. So we did the, the Route de Liberté um, from Paris that to not which is the see. route the patent took right across from, right so. right um i mean all of that was just i for, you know it, which intersects with how jean ultimately died yeah. yeah we won't give it away yeah but one and of it, my favorite memories oops, of, of our field research is getting up in the middle of the night because annette is arrested in the middle of the night and we took dylan for a walk <laughs> we got in the car we went from boulevard de strasbourg where annette and the Zelman family lived, the Cir- Zelman Circus lived. Yeah. And we drove what we thought would be the, the route of the paddy wagon to uh, the, the Citadel. The Palais de Justice, yeah. And then we walked around. Which is an, in, if you've seen Les, Les Mis, it occurs there. It's a, it occupies three or four blocks. It's like a huge fortress. And it's the nerve center of French justice then and now. And seeing it, Midnight in the dark, you know, it's so we, you you know, that's what we did. We went on, we were on the ground writing. We went to the cafe floor. We sat there and wrote. We, you know, we were at least an hour around the Citadel, walking the streets, looking at the shadows, you know, taking down descriptions. I mean, Simon's training is National Geographic. And so he really knows how to 
Get gotta, into you places. gotta do it. Yeah. Gotta be on if the you street. if you're gonna write you if you're gonna write what you know you gotta know what yeah. you're writing. Yeah. Yeah. You're yeah. gonna walk it and feel it and smell it and yeah. And you can def and it absolutely translates. Thank I can't you. thank you both enough for all that you did uh, to have Starcrossed exist. Um, mm. Just just dropped. But where or when can folks? Are you going to be doing any readings or events? Yeah, we're at the, yeah. Um, we're at the Rogers Memorial Library. Um, and actually, you can go to heatherdoon.com events page. We're doing the Hampton Bays Library, East Hampton Library, West Hampton Library. Yeah. Uh, and, um, and yeah, we're doing a bunch of libraries. We're doing a number of Barnes & Nobles up in Connecticut and libraries in Rhode Island, Massachusetts, Connecticut. And I'm doing the Jewish Film Festival circuit right now. I'm going Fantastic. to Austin with... The Annette Zellman story, which and I'm speaking uh, on behalf of my documentary and the Annette Zellman uh, narrative uh, uh, movie that is now uh, making the circuit and the Jewish Film Festival circuit. So heatherdoon.com, uh, find the events page there for more about Starcrossed. And true... there you are, Gian. Oh, I'm here. <laughs> I'm here. A true Romeo and Juliet story in Hitler's. Paris, thanking Heather Dune McAdam Say goodbye, Dylan. and Simon <laughs> Worrell and Dylan Thomas Wagglebottom. Yep. He's Esquire. a very literary dog. Esquire. Right here on the Thoughtful Thursday segment, underwritten by Grace and Grit on Long Island's only local NPR radio station, uh, WLIWFM, the weekday morning and midnight show, The Heart of the East End, on Long Island's only local NPR radio station. WLIWFM, news you can trust, music you love. I'm Gianna Volpe. That was Simon and Heather and Dylan. This is Jacob Gurevich, Lovers in Paris, on Long Island's only NPR radio station.
from Jacob Gurevich to new politics. You get a little bit of it all here on WLIWFM's weekday morning and midnight show, The Heart of the East. And oh, let's see, I've got the Flamingos and the Fleetwoods on deck after that. I'm Jenna Volpe. You, whoever you are out there, you are awesome. And you're listening to Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLIWFM, news you can trust, music you love. Atlantic City's full of sinner saints And Broadway's full of kids who stay out way too late Silver Lake has shakes I can't forget Your lipstick on the scar of a cigarette I'm lost, I'm lost from finding Is what you told me true The highway lights are blinding Still I believe Out of Brooklyn night I've seen Copenhagen Fading in my mind I'm lost, I'm lost From finding Is what you told me true The highway lights Are blinding Still I believe It's such a shame New politics on WLIWFM. We get the Flamingos and the Fleetwoods to lead you into the NPR news break at the top of the hour. But before that, a little PSA from badass poet Brie Onishe, um, because I won't be in tomorrow. And we were going to talk about this then. So Brie is co-hosting the poetry stage at Bradstock in Santa Marichas. Uh, the festival is all Labor Day weekend, but the poetry stage is Sunday, uh, September 3rd only. A fantastic lineup of artists, including Rory Kelly and Brian Garrity. Uh, even if you're not able to go, you can find out more information and support them at bradstock.org. And that's bradstock.org. All ticket sales will go toward supporting the camp. I'm Jenna Volpe. These are the Flamingos and you, whoever you are out there, you are awesome. And you're listening to Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLIWFM, 88.3 on the FM dial throughout eastern Long Island and coastal Connecticut, 96.9 in central and western Suffolk County, streaming online to wherever you may be at WLIW.org slash radio.
Hurt all so easily. 